Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I think we just had church. We can just pack up and go home right now. It's hard to get any better than that. Thank you, Aaron and worship team, for preparing the atmosphere. I'll tell you, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it is so good to see all of you. I want to welcome everyone here this morning. I also want to welcome all of those that are joining online. Special shout out to Buffalo, New York, Waynesville, North Carolina. We may have some folks in Tennessee tuning in. Wherever you're at, we appreciate you joining us today. Also, a special shout out to Pastor Josh. He has been away on a much-deserved vacation, but it is so good to see you, brother, and to have you back in the house this morning. Uh, my name is Larry McCall, and I have uh, the pleasure, the joy of serving on staff here at Church on the Rock, and it is a real privilege to be able to bring the message this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you so much. We thank you. We just thank you already for the worship that we had, Lord. We do want to just magnify your name, Jesus. And I just pray that over this next 30 minutes or so, Lord, that your name is lifted on high, that all eyes are pointed to you, Lord. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that you've given me to share this morning. I just thank you for your spirit that, that we have inside of us, Lord, your spirit that I'm asking to speak through me, Lord. Because there's no power in my words. They're just words that come out of my mouth. But when they're spoken by your spirit, Lord, they go out with power and authority. I just pray for the spirit that's in every single person here that's listening to the message today. And as Aaron prayed, I pray that people will actually listen through the spirit, Lord, and that this message will speak to the heart of each and every individual here this morning. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we have been in this series that we have been calling The Blueprint. This is week seven. Pastor Josh will be back on the platform next week, and he will bring this series to a close. Uh, this series has come out of the book of Matthew in chapter 16, and, and this is the, the passage of Scripture where Jesus says he's going to build his church on a rock. And the rock he's talking about is the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And I want to read... The, the passage of scripture that we've been reading each week, and I'm going to read all the way through Cynthia's message that she brought last week, and then I'll introduce our message today. So starting in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the buzz on the street? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. In other words, everybody think you're a big deal, but they think you're a man. Then Jesus asked them, he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's a question that every single one of us are going to have to reconcile at some point in our life. We're going to have to answer that question for ourselves. Who do I think Jesus is? And Simon Peter answered, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter. And remember when Pastor Josh taught this particular scripture, the rock that he uses here is a little rock, like a pebble. And he says, and upon this rock, that rock is the rock the size of a cliff. It's an enormous, immovable rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. 
And the rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And the church that Jesus is talking about building is not a building, it's not an infrastructure. It's people, it's us. We are the church. And then he says, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And there's two ways we can look at that statement. One is from a defensive standpoint. Over the years, ever since the crucifixion, Satan has come against the church. His mission is to stop the church in its track. But Jesus says that hell itself will not prevail against the church. Another way to look at it is from an offensive standpoint. Remember, we have the Great Commission. Jesus told us we're to take the gospel into all the world. Well, some of those places where we need to take the gospel are very dark places. They're filled with satanic spirits. And Jesus is saying that the gates of hell can't prevail. They will not prevent the gospel from being declared. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Pastor Josh taught us that those keys are the good news of the gospel. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. I think that's an interesting word. That it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. In other words, the religious people were going to be the ones that would persecute him. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And here's where Cynthia taught us last week in her message. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Cynthia used a different translation and said rebuke. He began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, Peter said. This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And it's that notion right there, as that sentence concludes, it's this notion of man's view versus God's view that I want to focus on. As I was preparing for the message today, uh, God laid a book on my heart. It was a book I read a long time ago. It's a Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities. And it was about the French Revolution, and it's about the, the poor labor force in France that is being oppressed by the rich ruling aristocracy. And the poor revolted. There was a revolution and there was a war between these two factions, if you will. So there's, there was these two opposing views coming against each other. And when we read the Bible, that is a theme that just jumps off the pages of the Bible all the way from Genesis all the way through to Revelations. It's this notion of opposing forces. It's light versus darkness. Good versus evil. As Cynthia taught us last week, Spirit versus flesh. It's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. In a sense, we could say it's the tale of two kingdoms. And that's where I want to focus today. And when we think about this tale of two kingdoms, these these two different kingdom views, it really begs the question, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Some of us here today would say that I stand firmly in the kingdom of God. I'm over here on this side of the fence. For those that find themselves in the kingdom of God, your priority is the relationship with Jesus. You pursue Jesus with all of your heart. That takes precedence over everything else that happens in your life. 
But don't be misled. People that are in the kingdom of God are not perfect. They make mistakes all the time. They sin all the time. In fact, just this past week, I had to get up early one day, go to Publix, and buy a dozen roses, and buy a card, and take it to Bridget before I went to work. Because the night before, and by the way, Bridget has been working so hard to prepare for our wedding. She's been doing a phenomenal job just to make sure that it's going to be a beautiful occasion. And she was sharing with me a, a challenge that we had, and, and I grew very impatient with her, and I spoke words that were not life-giving and were not loving and kind. And so the next day, I had to apologize. And so, I'm sorry. So we're not perfect, right? We make mistakes. We're human. But some of us find ourselves in the kingdom of God on the other side of the fence. Statistics would tell us that there are quite a few people in the audience today that are here, maybe listening online, that this is where you're at. You're in the kingdom of the world. In other words, you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You may come to church. You may read your Bible. You may pray. You may even, even tithe. But you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You're living in the kingdom of the world. And then everybody else, if you haven't found yourself in one of those two positions yet, everybody else is kind of in the middle. You have one foot planted firmly in the kingdom. You are saved, right? You've given your life to Christ. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You may come to church every Sunday and do all the things that you know you're supposed to do, but you also have one foot firmly planted in the world. In fact, during the week, people that don't know that you're a Christian wouldn't know the difference, right? And for some of you that are straddling the fence that way, right, the question is, what is it that is drawing you to the world? Why do you have one foot planted in the world? And I would say that for some of you, it may be a control thing, right? Whether it's your finances, whether it's your career, maybe your family, you need to be in charge. That's your responsibility. I'm in control of that. I'm not trusting the Lord with that. For some of you, it may be fear. You are simply afraid to let Jesus have it all. You're afraid what he might do. Right? If I give him all of my heart, he may ask me to be a missionary and go to Africa. If I turn my finances over to Jesus, he may ask me like he did the rich young ruler in the Bible and tell me to give all my money away to the poor. So I'm afraid to trust Jesus with my heart. Some of you, it may simply be desire. There are things in the world that you just desire and you're afraid to let go of them. For me, it was wine. It was wine. Not that there's anything wrong with a glass of wine or, or drinking wine, but when that becomes an impediment in your faith or an impediment in your walk, then it becomes a problem, and that's where I was at. That's where I was at. I was too, I enjoyed my wine too much to set it down and trust my all with Jesus. So that may be where some of you are at. Maybe it's not alcohol for you. Maybe it's something you're watching on the computer or something you're watching on TV. Maybe it's not even a sin or anything bad. Maybe it's just simply a hobby, right? Your love for the Jaguars, your love for the Gators. Or maybe it's that hobby that you like to do. Your love for golf, your love for hunting, your love for fishing. None of those things are bad. 
And we, we should do those things. We should have some downtime in our life. But when those things take a greater importance than our love for Christ, then it's a problem. Then we're straddling the fence. So where do you find yourself this morning? And that brings us to our scripture today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's an interesting phrase, take up your cross. And I would encourage you, whenever you study the Bible, context is everything. We always read the Bible first from our context. But I would encourage you to consider different points of view when you read the Bible. You may learn something a little deeper, a deeper truth that the Lord has for you. And I think that's the case in this phrase. When Jesus says, take up your cross, when we read the cross today, we immediately think about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He did that 2,000 years ago. Since that moment in time when he, he died on the cross, the New Testament was written. So we have the entire New Testament. We have the entire Bible that we can study. We have almost 2,000 years of biblical scholars teaching us what the cross was all about. And so it's easy for us now when we look back and we look at the cross, to us, the cross means salvation, right? Jesus went to the cross for my sins. I am saved by putting my faith in him because of the finished work that he did on the cross, and because of that salvation act that, that he gave me on the cross, I also have hope. I have hope in an eternity. No longer will I ever be separated from God again. Even death itself cannot separate me from God. I have an eternity that I will spend with my Father. The cross also represents victory. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. He was victorious. That's why Paul can tell us that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are victorious. When we fight every day, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. So the cross for us means salvation, hope, and victory. But Jesus was talking to his disciples, and this was before he went to the cross. And their perspective of the cross was very different than ours. At that point in time in Israel, Rome had occupied Israel. And they were an impressive occupier. They ruled and subdued the nation of Israel through terror and fear. And their greatest tool to do that was the Roman cross. It was their execution method. Crucifixion on the cross. They had learned that from the Persians a few hundred years before. And they had mastered it. They had learned over time how to prolong the death process. So when they crucified somebody on the cross, they didn't die right away. Sometimes they would live up to three days later. They learned the anatomy of the body and where all the nerves were so they could maximize the pain and suffering while you're waiting to die on the cross. And every time they crucified somebody, it was in a very public place. It was always outside the city gates. So anybody coming into the city or leaving out of the city gates would see these people crucified on the cross. So the disciples, when Jesus said, take up your cross, it didn't mean salvation, hope, and victory. It meant torture, terror, and death. 
Context matters. But there's one more perspective that I think we need to consider when Jesus says, take up your cross. And that's the perspective of Jesus himself. Now, we know that Jesus was God himself. He was God in the flesh. And I think too many times that's all we focus on and we forget that he was also a man. He was fully God and fully man. And that means as he was fully man, he felt what we felt, right? He experienced pain, physical pain, emotional pain, and stress. It was a real thing. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there with his disciples, and he asked a few of them to, to kneel and pray so they wouldn't fall into temptation, and he carries on a little farther into the garden. And then Jesus begins to pray, and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In other words, he's saying, Father, God, Lord, if there is any other way to save the world than me having to go to the cross, please do it because I don't want to go to the cross. A few verses later, we read that as Jesus was praying, he began to sweat blood. And that's one of those verses that we oftentimes read and we just skim right over and never think about it. But if you think about it, that's a pretty powerful statement. And then one day I learned that that is a real medical condition. That under extreme stress and duress of the mind, the blood vessels and capillaries underneath your skin will begin to pop. And as they do, blood will seep through the pores of your skin. That was what was going on in Jesus. He was under extreme emotional stress and distress. So he's praying to God, please, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And then he continues, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So the perspective of the cross from Jesus is surrender. Jesus surrendered his will to the Father's. And that's the perspective that I want us to cling to today. The definition of surrender is to yield to the power of another. And that's what Jesus was doing when he went to the cross. He was yielding to the power of his Father. Jesus had all the authority in heaven. If, if he called on a legion of angels to kill everyone that was coming against him, they would have done that. He didn't have to go to the cross. Except that was the only way to salvation for us. He yielded to the, to the power of his father. He, he had to agree to give up the fight. Those of us in the room that find ourselves straddling that fence, we have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. That is, that is a position of great turmoil and great stress. I've been there off and on my entire Christian life. It is no fun because we find ourselves feeling guilty. I do things that I know I shouldn't do and I feel guilty and that brings guilt and shame and remorse and then I repent, repent and I get right with God and then I do them again and again and again and that cycle continues. It's just a constant state of turmoil. Just agree to give up the fight and let Jesus have control. Another definition is to submit, submit to the influence of another. Jesus submitted his will to his father's. Surrender. That's what we need to do. 
So regardless of where you're at, if you're in the kingdom of the world, then you need to surrender to Christ. You need to give your life to Christ for the very first time. If you're straddling that fence, whatever it is that is keeping you in the kingdom of the world, you need to identify those things. And hopefully God will do that today. He'll lay it on your heart, but you need to surrender those things to the Lord. If you find yourself in the kingdom of heaven, you need to constantly surrender yourself so you can stay there. So we need to surrender. So how do we surrender? There's three ways that we can surrender. The first is we have to decide. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up his cross and follow me. Those are all action words. Before we can take any action, we have to decide in our heart that we're going to take that action. So we have to decide to surrender. This is where most of us blow it every single day. We get up in the morning and we go through our routine. And our routine may be a good one, right? We may get up in the morning and the first thing we do is pray. We may read our Bible before we get out the door. So we start our day off on the right foot. But we don't give any thought to the rest of the day. And then we get into our routine. And we get into our day. And we never think about the Lord again until the next morning when we wake up again. Right? We have to decide to just surrender, not just our morning, but the entire day. I love what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today, which will you worship? The gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates rivers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? In other words, who are you going to worship today? Are you going to worship the gods of the world? Or are you going to worship Jesus? Joshua says, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Today is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Choose, decide to surrender. I love what Luke says in Luke 9, 23. He's recounting this exact same conversation. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Only when he gets to take up the cross, he adds a word. He says, take up the cross daily. We have to constantly be surrendered. It's not a one and done type situation. We are constantly choosing to surrender our life to Christ. So we have to decide to surrender. The second thing, we have to direct our focus to Jesus. Have you ever tried to follow somebody in a car? And you come to a red light or come to a traffic light? And the light turns yellow and they speed through the light and you get stuck at the red light. Happens to me every time, right? If that person's not paying attention, they'll make the turn they're supposed to make and you're lost because you have no idea where they went. In order for us to effectively follow somebody, we have to keep our eyes on them at all times. So we need to direct our focus to Jesus all day long, every day. I love Matthew 6, 33. It's one of my life verses. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added into you. Seek you first. And that doesn't mean just at the beginning of the day. That's the first part of the day. Let's seek him first. That means seek him first all throughout the day. Every situation I face, every decision I have to make, every conversation I'm about to enter into, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all those interactions will take care of themselves. I love Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not part of it. Not some of it. But all of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lead on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Everywhere you go, everything you do, acknowledge him. So first, we have to decide to surrender. Then we have to direct our focus to Jesus. And then finally, we have to do what Jesus did. Remember those bracelets that came out years ago? What would Jesus do? WWJD, right? Those were brilliant. I don't know why they went away. Those were brilliant bracelets. That's a question we should always be asking. That's one way to keep our eyes on Jesus. Every situation I face, I should ask that question, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this situation? What would Jesus say to this person? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do? But we can't just ask the question. We have to follow that up with action. Do what he would do, right? The question doesn't get it done. So what did Jesus do? I just highlighted four things, four things. And I think if we focused on simply doing these four things that Jesus did, it would transform our walk with Christ. The first one is he prayed fervently. We need to pray fervently. In the Gospels, we read all the time that Jesus was in the wilderness praying. Early in the morning, he would drift off into the wilderness and pray. I could almost hear the disciples every morning, where's Jesus? He's over there praying, right? He was constantly in prayer. Remember the temptation of Satan when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness? That came after he was in the wilderness praying and fasting for 40 days. I love how Pastor Josh talks about the Lord's Prayer. I'd never considered it until I heard him say this for the first time. Um, and it really changed the way I viewed the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. They knew how to pray. These were Jewish men. Ever since they could read and write, they were taught how to pray because they were religious. They knew how to pray. So why were they asking Jesus how to pray? Because he prayed with power and authority that they didn't have. So they're like, teach us how to pray like that. That's why he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Earlier we talked about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's praying, Father, take this cup from me. If you keep reading on in the, the depiction in, in the book of John, and I think it's in John 17, Jesus goes on to pray for his disciples because he knows he's going to be crucified. He's going to leave his disciples, and he prays for them to be strong and to carry on, and for all of the disciples' followers. That's us. Jesus was praying for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed fervently. That's what we need to do. The fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. So we should pray fervently. We should also study faithfully. Jesus knew the word. Jesus knew the word. Remember that temptation of Satan? Satan tempted him in three different ways. How did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus used the word of God to defeat Satan in that temptation. Oftentimes in the gospel, we find Jesus in the synagogue, in the, in the church, if you will, teaching and preaching the word of God. 
He was always in the scrolls teaching about the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus knew the word. We need to study the word. Pastor Josh talked about those are the king, the keys to the kingdom of heaven for us to know the gospel and be able to defend the gospel. We can't just simply read. We have to study. Now, don't get me wrong. Reading the Bible every day is good. But there's too many days I've been guilty of reading the Bible and an hour later I can't remember what I read. It says we should meditate on God's word all day long. We should think about what we read, study faithfully. Let the word of God be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. The third thing we should do is give generously. God gave us everything. God taught us what generous love was all about. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for our sins on the cross. Right before he would ascend into heaven, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He goes, it's better for me to leave. Because if I leave, my father's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He won't send him until I leave. So it's better for me to leave because my father is going to give you the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The Father gave us His Son, and the Father gave us His Holy Spirit. That's two-thirds of the Trinity He's given to us. Our Father is a generous God. You know, the majority of the things that Jesus taught were about money and about the economy. Why? It wasn't because He wanted your money. God doesn't need your money. In fact, every penny you have came from God. It's thanks to God, right? God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. Jesus preached on money because it is not money is the root of evil. It is the love of money becomes the root of evil, right? So we need to guard our hearts against that. Jesus talked about we should live generous lives. So give generously. How can you give generously? You can give your time. You can give your talents and you can give your treasure, your money. So give generously. And then the last thing that Jesus did that we can learn from is he served continuously. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. He came to serve, not to be served. In 2020, for the first time in my adult life, I, I came to Christ when I was 27. And for the first time in my life as a Christian, I finally surrendered everything to Jesus in 2020. And I remember going into 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'd never fasted before, by the way. I learned how to do that here at Church on the Rock. We went into 21 days of prayer and fasting in January 2021. And I was seeking what the Lord would have me to do. And I was fully prepared. I was sold out. I was all in. Lord, if you want me to be a missionary in Africa, I'll pack my bags and go tomorrow. If you want me to go to China, I'll go to China. No matter what you want me to do, I am all in. I'm ready to do it. And for 21 days straight, I prayed asking for God to reveal to me what he wanted me to do. Finally, on that last night, that last service, as I knelt on my knees in front of the chair, Jesus simply whispered in my ear, Larry, just serve. Just serve. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't tell me where to serve. He just said, just serve. And that's what I've done ever since then. 
any need that needs to be done, I'll do it. I'll scrub the toilet. I'll move chairs. I'll stack chairs. I'll unstack chairs. I do that all day, every day, every week, right? I'll hang scuba. It doesn't matter. Whatever needs to get done, I will do it. Bridget used to ask me, why do you have to be the one that does everything? Because my father asked me to. Just serve. But here's the cool thing that I learned in doing that. It's the transformation that took place in my heart. All the pride, all the arrogance that I once had in my heart through service was removed. Jesus taught me humility in service. He taught me obedience in service. He taught me love through service. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. You know, we're a portable church. Every Sunday we set up church before you get here. And after church is over, we take it down. It takes a small army of people to prepare for Sunday morning. We have hospitality people come in. They scrub the bathrooms. They brew coffee and set coffee out. We have set up people that come in and they take a classroom and transform it into a family room. We hang black curtains along every wall so it doesn't look like a school when you get here. It looks like a church. We have people in the parking lot waving pom-poms. Miss Diane, they're waving pom-poms when you pull into the parking lot just to make you feel good. We have people in yellow shirts helping you park. Whether it's raining or 150 degrees outside, they're in that parking lot helping you get parked. And because that parking lot's a long way away, we have somebody driving a golf cart to bring you to the front door. We have a trolley that will pick you up when you drop your kids off at Camp Rock Kids. They'll drive you to the front door. By the way, a small army of people are next door at Camp Rock Kids hosting Children's Church so you can come and enjoy this service undistracted. There's a lot of doors in this this school building, so it takes a lot of greeters to welcome people. We have ushers that are here helping you find your seat. Our worship team, they get here early and set up the stage. The production team is setting up all the equipment, the cameras so we can do online church, so we can show the screens during the service. It takes a lot to put on church every Sunday. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. This weekend, we started something new. We're making it even easier for those of you that are not serving. If if you feel prompted in this message to serve, we've just made it a little easier for you to get involved. On Friday, in our newsletter that went out via email, by the way, if you don't get our Friday newsletter, go out to our website and register for it. Just key in your, your email address and you'll receive our newsletter every Friday. It'll tell you what's going on in our church. Every Friday, Joe Bonfiglio sends out our newsletter. Does an amazing job. And this Friday, we highlighted a change. It's for our serve teams. If you go to our website and you click on get involved and go to the serve team page, um, it will take you to a page where you can sign up to serve. It's just a simple little form that you fill in your name and your contact information, and then you can identify the serves that you're interested in serving in. When you hit submit, that will come to our team. And then someone from our serve team leadership will be in touch with you, and they'll get you in contact with the team that you're interested in serving. It doesn't get any easier than that, right? Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. So, 
How do we surrender? We decide to surrender. We direct our focus to Jesus. And we do what Jesus did. Now we come to that point in the service where it's time to respond. Hopefully, every single person is hurt in this auditorium today or listening online has heard from God. Maybe he's touched your heart and said, hey, you've got a foot in the world. It's time to move. It's time to surrender that thing that is holding you in the world because I want you in my kingdom. I want all of your heart. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you today, what are you going to respond to? How will you respond? And I know how it works because I've been there before. You feel prompted in your heart. You feel a moving, a stirring in your heart. You know that Jesus has identified something in your heart that you need to surrender or something that that you need to come lay at the cross or lay at the altar, right? And then it comes time for that response and then fear and doubt creeps in. That's the world trying to keep you planted in the kingdom of the world. Don't give in. Don't give in. Yield to the Lord. Get up in faith. Move to the altar. Move to the front of the stage in response. Come thank Jesus that he's actually taken the time to speak to you personally. Some of you may need someone to pray with you. You're struggling with something that you have not yet been able to let go of, but you've been trying. We'll have prayer partners right up these steps that will be more than happy to pray with you. Maybe that's your response. And then finally, there's those of you that are here that you find yourself firmly planted in the kingdom, of the, Lord, the kingdom of the world because you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you feel a stirring in your heart. That's God pricking your heart. He's calling you by name. He's telling you today is the day of salvation. He's asking you to respond by giving your trust and faith to Him. The Bible says it's really easy for us to get saved. All we have to do is believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave and then confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you're, in that, if you're in that position today and your heart is beating right now, I believe you believe in your heart what Jesus did for you. Now it's just simply time to confess. And the way we do that is very simple. We just say a prayer together. And to make it even easier for you, our entire church family is gonna say the prayer with you because we want you to pray that prayer out loud. So if that's you today, then join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you will, stand as we begin to go into... We begin to go into a moment of worship. This is your time to respond.